Let's stand together as we read God's Word tonight in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 20. And if that seems like somewhat of a contrast to this morning's message, it is. It is. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 20. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. May God bless the reading of His Word tonight is my prayer. You may be seated. Our message tonight is called The Sinking Soul, and I bring these two messages together for a reason. The promises of God concerning the application of wisdom that we considered this morning in our message are absolutely valid. Happy is the man. Happy is anyone. And we'll be talking more about those in weeks ahead. Yet the marvelous balance in the Word of God also warns about the possibility of a different outcome at times. And so I thought it good to remind us tonight that nobody is happy all the time, whether in right, outright, upright, or downright. Nobody is happy all the time. I remember listening to a preacher, not he was not in our fellowship of churches, he's an independent Baptist. Uh, but I went to hear him. He was a man of some reputation and uh, almost one of the first things that he said was that uh, he, he never gets the blues, never gets down in the dumps, never has a bad attitude. I, I'm happy all the time. He said, I had one day, you know, back in so-and-so and so-and-so, made a big joke about it. And it was hard for me to listen to anything else a man said. I'm, I'm serious. I, it was. I, I, I didn't get up and walk out, but I probably should have. Uh, nobody's happy all the time. Nobody. You can't go through this life unscathed. So a lot of things happen. Remember that Jesus said in John 16, 33, In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So, again, there's that marvelous balance. You're going to have tribulation in this world. That's the bad news. Thank God there's good news. Be of good cheer. There it is. Jesus is not going to tell us to do something that's impossible for us to do. Even in the midst of our tribulations then, there's something to be cheerful about. It's there. And he even tells us what that something is. In the middle of the worst situations that ever come in our life, we can find cheer, uh, joy, in knowing that Jesus is the victor over the world. The world does not get the last say. It doesn't write the last chapter. Our Lord Jesus does. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, Jeremiah, obviously, in writing the book of Lamentations, was inspired of God to write down an honest uh, description of his feelings. And boy, he was brutally honest. You can read the book if you haven't. Uh, read it sometime and you'll see that uh, he had a lot of very forthright things to say about what he was feeling and what he was going through, his experiences in prophesying to a dying and rebellious nation who would not listen to what God was telling them and did not heed God's warnings. And instead, they listened to every lying prophet that came along. Everybody that had a contrary message, a, a lying message, they, they just lined up to listen to them. 
And there was faithful Jeremiah preaching the word of God, doing what God told him to do. And suffering greatly because of it. But oh, what a text this is. This I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. The sinking soul uh, doesn't have to sink. <laughs> now, we all know about a life preserver. It's called a personal flotation device is its technical term. Um, it's an interesting thing about a life preserver. Most of the time, you don't need one. But when you need one, you really need one. And you, you better know where it's at and have it easily accessible and know how to get into it even in the middle of a difficult situation. When you need one, you really need one. There are times when we need a soul preserver because it's not our body that's sinking. It's our soul that is sinking. And Jeremiah in our text tonight is going to give us some things that will help us in the midst of a time or situation when our soul is sinking. He doesn't leave us to wonder about the cause. He tells us right up front, my soul still remembers. My soul still remembers. You see, Jeremiah had suffered greatly. And some of the things that had happened to him, he couldn't forget. No matter how he might try, no matter how he might just say, we need to get over it, no matter how many times he tells himself, you know, just put your boots on or whatever on and get over it, it didn't matter. He couldn't get over it. His soul still remembered. That is, in the very depths of his being, he carried memory. And it wasn't a misty, water-colored memory. This was a memory that was dark and discouraging and hurtful. My soul still remembers. He'll spend time in verse 51 and 58 of this same chapter describing how he was hunted down and thrown into a cistern, a well, to die. How he sunk down into the mire and how his flesh began to rot there in the filth. This wasn't an isolated incident. Jeremiah lived and served in some of the most traumatic times. And unfortunately, uh, the worst of the trauma fell on him. Now, he was not alone in this. We have to remember that faithful prophet of God, Elijah, who in those dark days of Ahab and Jezebel stood before the king and faithfully delivered God's message. There'll be neither rain nor dew for three years except by my word. And he delivered that message and left. It wasn't long before Ahab was hunting for him high and low. And while Ahab and Jezebel lived in a palace. While Ahab and Jezebel fared sumptuously every day. If anybody had food in the whole kingdom, it was Ahab and Jezebel. Meanwhile, the crows were feeding Elijah. And you and I know what crows are inclined to hang around. And the crows, the crows were bringing him flesh and bread to eat. It, it wasn't Ahab and Jezebel who had to watch that spring uh, grow to a uh, decline to a trickle and then watch the trickle 
dry up and die. That was Elijah, the faithful prophet of God. So Jeremiah wasn't the only one who promised judgment to a nation, but then watched as that judgment fell perhaps most crushingly on him. And so the cause of Jeremiah's suffering and the cause of his sinking soul ultimately was the Lord. His enemies certainly deserve mentioning, (laughs) and he does mention them, by the way, as he prays for God to repray them for what they did to him. That's in verse 66 when he prayed, destroy them from under the heavens. Yeah. Oh, you remember what they did to me, God. But still, in the end, it was God who was bringing these calamities on the nation, and Jeremiah knew it. And therefore, it was God who brought about the difficulties that Jeremiah was facing. And so he says in verse 37, Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? See what Jeremiah, who, who, I've, I've spoken, he knew it. It's come to pass, yes. But it's not like Jeremiah sat down and, and thought this up on his own. Jeremiah was delivering the message that God gave him to deliver. And the very fact that he had spoken it and now it came to pass, uh, that was the ultimate test of any prophet in the Old Testament or the New Testament. And that was, do their words come to pass? And Jeremiah's did. Who can do that, Jeremiah said. Who can predict the future unless God has given him that message? Is it not, verse 38, then, from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceeds? He would give a lengthy discussion beginning in verse 42. I'm going to read this to you. Just listen. We have transgressed and rebelled. You have not pardoned. You've covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You've slain and not pitied. You've covered yourself with a cloud that prayer should not pass through. You have made us an off-scouring and refuse in the midst of the people. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Fear and a snare have come upon us. Desolation and destruction. Both woe and well-being come from God. Jeremiah knew then that God is both our greatest threat and our only refuge all at the same time. And it wasn't as if Jeremiah at this time had escaped these things and was unnecessarily burdening himself with memories from the past. It wasn't like he had moved on and everything was great, but you know he was being haunted by this accusing memory. No, that, that wasn't it. He was still living it. His circumstances externally were not improving. The judgment of God was devastating. The past was troubling. The present was bad and the future didn't look good. This is why his soul was sinking. And I don't want to belabor the point any more than Jeremiah did, but it would help us to understand. He said in verse 1 in his introduction to this whole chapter, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. 
Hmm. The things that Jeremiah has gone through had aged him. You could see it on his face. You could see it in his countenance. The stress that he had endured had aged him. He's broken my bones. He's besieged me. He's put me in a situation I can't get out of. God had led him, he said, into a land of darkness and not light. From the mouth of God then, by the word of God, Jeremiah says, has come to him both woe and well-being. Jeremiah loved God, served God, followed God, obeyed God, spoke God's truth, but he still says, I am the man who has seen affliction. I followed God, and God led me into the darkness. Uh, you see, the truth that Jeremiah gives us in this passage is that obeying God doesn't always lead to favor and ease. We can follow God and yet find ourselves in a time of darkness from which there seems to be no escape. And that causes the soul to sink. That hollow feeling deep inside. You may not know and may never know what it's like to be called to prophesy to a nation of judgment and calamity to come and then watch as that judgment and calamity falls on you and then you see that there'll be no deliverance from it. You may not face a situation then when the judgment of God falls on our nation and you see that it is not going to get better for the rest of your life and the rest of your life may not be all that long. I mean, that's what Jeremiah was looking at. But you and I do know. We do know what it is like to face situations in our own life that probably will not improve. We don't like to use the word hopeless because for a believer in Christ, no situation is really, truly hopeless. But we can look at things that we know may never really improve. We can look at a battle that will not end well. We may have to face it. We're probably not going to see a miracle. And if you've ever looked ahead into a situation that doesn't seem to be getting any better and offers little hope that it ever will, then maybe you know, just like Jeremiah knew, the feeling of that sinking soul. One that just makes you feel like uh, my soul is just going to go under. But this I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. It's not just the cause of what was going on, something that we can identify with, but also the cure. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And if that sounds familiar to you, it should. It's probably the most famous passage in the book of Lamentations and one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
And so when we feel that sinking feeling down within, like that sinking soul, then there is a, something we can do about it. Our soul doesn't have to sink because God has given us a soul preserver. And it is this, the first part of it is reflection, reflection, not just thinking, uh, not just remembering, but reflecting upon a truth. So that when we are remembering that bitter experience, that painful experience, that galling experience, when they seem to be surrounding us on every hand and they remind us in every waking moment, when we are facing that feeling that though we know it's not hopeless, we know our situation may not change except to change for the worse. We need more in a time like that than a memory. We don't need to just remember something. We need to reflect on something. That's a bigger deal. Where we take a different step. Yes, we remember the truth. But then we begin to think carefully on this truth. And the first thing that he brings up to reflect on is that every day brings a fresh supply of God's mercy and compassion. It is of the Lord's mercies, Jeremiah says, that we are not consumed. Why was he saying that? Because he was acknowledging the truth. Israel had done enough wrong. And he himself, to be honest with you, had done enough wrong and he knew it. Remember the Bible says there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And yes, that means all of you. And yes, that means this preacher too. And all of us, if we were honest, have done enough that God could have killed us by now. And all we could have said was amen. It is of the Lord's mercies, he says, that we're not consumed. As he looked at the judgment that was falling upon the nation of Israel, he could face it honestly and said, it's but for the mercy of God, there'd be none left. There'd be none left. They would have all fallen already under the judgment of God, and they all deserved it. It's of the mercies of God then that we are not consumed. Now that's a backward look. That's something to remember. So that, yes, even as we look back on things, that haunting memory of, of something painful and some terrible thing that we can't seem to shake, at the same time, we need to reflect on the fact that God's mercy has kept us from a whole lot of retribution that we deserved and didn't get. Amen. Reflect on it. It is of the Lord's mercies we're not consumed. And so if we can say that in our past, as we look back behind us, it also gives us something else. Now, that same God who has preserved me in the past did not use up all of his mercy and grace. <laughs> uh, no, God's not about to run out. Every day brings a fresh supply of God's mercy and compassion. God is faithful. God is greatly faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. And so he reflects then on God's mercy. He reflects then on how the Lord is my portion, uh, God's provision. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. My portion, he says, my inheritance, my blessing, my fullness is the Lord. 
And in doing so, he mentions three things that I don't believe were chosen at random. They were supplied for us under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The first one is that the Lord is good to those who wait for him and seek him. That's our portion. And knowing that God is good to those who wait for him. Since that is true, and it is true, then it is also true that one should hope and wait quietly for God's salvation and deliverance. And since that is true, since number one, God is good to those who wait for and seek him. Number two, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for God's salvation and deliverance. Then it is also true, he says, to bear the yoke of servitude or bondage, even if it comes in our youth and must be born for the rest of our lives. Uh, You see, the promise that Jeremiah and of the nation of Israel, and by the way, that he had delivered very faithfully. And that famous passage that Jeremiah wrote in his prophecy, for I know the plans, God says, that I have for you. Plans for your good and not for evil. To give you a future and hope. All that passage has made the rounds. <laughs> I've seen necklaces with that on there. I've seen many a placard on there. But we need to stop and think every now and then that the plan that God had for them to give them a future and hope included being bondage for the rest of their lives in Babylon. That's how God was going to save them alive. Think about how desperate the situation must have been in Israel for God to say that the only way I can save this nation is to put you in bondage in a foreign land, totally bring down your infrastructure, totally bring down your governmental system, completely destroy your religious rights and system, and put you in captivity in a foreign land. That's the only way that I'm going to be able to save you and give you a future. Let me tell you something tonight. Whenever God looks at a nation, if he ever does, and says, you know, the only way I can save you is to bring you down. That's a nation that God's going to bring down. But, (laughs) Jeremiah said it, since the Lord is my portion, since the Lord is my inheritance, and the Lord is my blessing, and the Lord is my fullness, then being in captivity is not going to jeopardize my portion. It's not going to jeopardize my inheritance. It's not going to jeopardize my blessing. It's not going to jeopardize my future, because whether I'm in Jerusalem or whether I'm in Babylon, whether I'm a free man or in bondage, God is still my portion and my inheritance and my blessing, and my fullness. Hmm. You see, Jeremiah knew that some burdens can be put on us and won't be laid down. And therefore, he says, let him sit alone and keep silent. It'd be good for us to remind ourselves occasionally that every burden does not have to be shared. Every complaint doesn't have to be voiced. There's a place for just keeping quiet. If we want to say something, say it to God. From whom, by the way, comes both our well-being and our woe. 
And if a burden must be borne for a lifetime, it remains a truth to be reflected on in verse 31. The Lord will not cast off forever. Even if we have to bear a burden for a lifetime, there'll come a time when we lay this life down and we open our eyes then on the shores of eternity where we'll carry a burden no more. No more. And so the first part of the cure, that life preserver for the soul so that our soul doesn't have to sink, is to reflect. And that's not just to remember. It is to think seriously about some great truths that he's given us. But then there's one more part, and that's rejoicing. Why should a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Let us search out, verse 40, and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. And let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. Worship. Worship turns a sinking soul into a singing soul. We reflect on the fact then that we're still in the land of the living. We reflect on the fact that even when we're experiencing the chastening of God, we're still alive. There's time not only to think what the enemies of the gospel are doing, but on what we have done and what we have, how we have sinned against God. And since we're still living, it means there's time to repent which is what it means to turn back to the Lord. Turn back to the Lord. See, with, without repentance, then rejoicing is just a sham. If we're continuing on in our ways of rebellion and resistance and rejection against God's truth and resisting the, the work of the Holy Spirit, if we are living a life of sinfulness and yet we come into the house of God and raise our hands and sing praise well that's just a sham it, it, it's our way of saying God, God we want your blessings so we can consume them on our sins and that's not going to work for very long it may seem to work for a while but it's just an illusion and so he calls on us to truly turn back to God, to repent of our sins. And then to not just walk around for the rest of our life with our head down. Oh, I've messed up. It's been so bad. No, but to repent of our sins and then find, as we always do, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which then brings us to that place where we can truly lift our hearts and our hands to God in praise of the Lord. So that our soul doesn't sink under the burden of sin. Oh, there's all kinds of songs that goes with this one. But perhaps the old hymn writer maybe had this passage in mind. When he wrote, I was sinking deep in sin. Far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, 
From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. If you know it, sing it with me. Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me, love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me.